Today on Ag News Daily. Um, if we turn it into a NUCO, it's launched out of our studio. We provide pre-seed equity in the next company to give it its uh, runway to seed. And then we continue to support that NUCO through traction, you know, ramp up, scalability, until ultimately an exit five to seven years down the road. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a Friday edition here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Tanner Winterhoff. Tanner, I have wedding brain today. Oh, that's going to be good. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really Uh helpful as I'm trying to get things finished up and all I can think about is what last minute details do I still need to do? Well, we will uh, do our best to provide as many distractions to you as possible to make that job even a little bit more difficult but maybe maybe you'll be just tired enough to where you'll actually find me funny maybe not oh okay well before i get into some weather related news uh, i wanted to let you know how hot it was in north carolina and this comes uh, courtesy of a listener andy collins and uh, he shared this with me but delaney do you know how hot it is in north carolina hotter than a hoochie coochie tanner well, that's a very good and clever answer, but no, farmers are now feeding their chickens crushed ice oh. to keep them from laying hard-boiled eggs. That's a sad joke, Tanner. Really? That was all you had to add for me? I think you're just too tired. That was a good joke. Uh, we, we're going to have to work on this. Uh, well, I tell you what, if you didn't know, today is now been labeled as Climate Emergency Day. This, as of 5 p.m. today, will mark seven years from the end of the climate clock. If anybody had been following along, that is the climate clock, which counts down the number of years that it is no longer possible to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius. At the end of seven years from 5 p.m. today, if we don't take climate action according to uh, the Climate Action Emergency Agency, uh, people across the world will experience levels of global warming that we can't reverse. So uh, a new day in the calendar, but I would tell you the listeners that are continuing to see uh, issues related to drought and temperature uh, are certainly amassing. The number keeps getting larger and larger, but you look at North America's longest rivers, the Rio Grande is now flowing at a trickle level. So local and federal water managers said on Thursday that more stretches of the Rio Grande will begin drying up, especially in the Albuquerque area. And the reason that's important is that is the main freshwater resource for a lot of residents in that neck of the woods. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Tanner, we talk not a lot about climate change. And I feel like to some extent, the US maybe has a heads down approach as opposed to a lot of other countries. I was, you know, in Mexico City earlier this week with farmers from all over the globe. And I feel like we don't talk about it enough here in the United States, or we kind of just want to ignore and pretend that it's not happening. Yeah, it, uh, it gets discussed. And then I, I think it very quickly gets combated. Uh, mm-hmm. in political rhetoric. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So it's a hard pill to swallow, but it is a somewhat a reality, it sounds like here. Yeah. 
Well, Tanner, another thing that's a reality now is after much anticipation, we have seen officially a deal to reopen the Ukraine's Black Sea ports to finally export grain and other agricultural products was signed today. This is coming after two months of negotiations between Russia, Ukraine and the UN, but it's estimated that 20 million tons plus of grain has been stuck in these ports and will now have the opportunity to alleviate some of those shortages we see worldwide, as well as make space, of course, for Ukraine's crops that they are getting ready to harvest here alongside basically the time of year we're getting ready to harvest here in the United States. However, this is on the same day that reports have begun to service of Russia sending in combines to occupied areas of southeastern Ukraine to also help with equipment shortages, which is after multiple confirmed reports of Russian forces previously stealing old crop grain stocks. Now they're sending in equipment to help. So is a peace deal in sight, Tanner? That's the big question I have today. Yeah, that is interesting that uh, there are appearances of help or was that part of the plan all along? As uh, we know that things here in the United States may be pointing in the direction of lower production than average. So Bryce Anderson, meteorologist with DTN, stated that uh, they have done some observations to compare the climate of this year to other years in history. And he came up with, in chronological order, 1980, 1983, 95, 99, 2000, 2011 and 2019, he used the short-term oceanic atmosphere wave feature identified as the Madden-Julian oscillation to compare those. And in all of those crop years, Delaney, the yield was less than the year before. 1980 was down 14%. 1995 was down 27. 1983 was down 50% for the three largest years. However, in the three most recent, 99, 11, and 19, were 3%, 1, and 5% below. So looking at potentially not hitting yield goals this year if we continue to stay in this weather pattern. So it'll be important to make sure the Ukrainian crop gets to where it needs to go. It certainly will be, Tanner, because we are not out of the woods yet, although this is certainly a good step in the right direction. Salmon is still a topic that many are discussing. Yes, it is. Great, great uh, pick me up there, Tanner. No, I'm just giving you giving you crap here, but I don't have a lot of news today other than one other. I know other than one other story here that the EPA may face a lawsuit for, of all industries, ethanol's impact on endangered species. The EPA has officially issued an emergency waiver as of May to allow, of course, year-round E15. Well, the Center for Biological Diversity filed a lawsuit on Wednesday challenging the EPA's fuel volume requirements for corn and other biofuels for 2020, 2021, and 2022, claiming that uh, this announcement of year-round E15 in particular harms a few different species, including land conversion, additional fertilizer use, and increased pesticide use to produce more corn, which seems like a little bit of a stretch, Tanner, because that ground was going to be produced regardless of year-round E15. 
Yeah, it does. It does seem like a little bit of a stretch. Another place where we might see a little bit of a stretch coming is there are groups, repair.org, is alleging that John Deere's repair practices may violate the Clean Air Act. They're saying that uh, John Deere's states that they are the only ones that can work on the emissions control systems of their equipment is running contrary to the Clean Air Act requirement that gives companies the uh, that must state in the owner's manuals how independent repair shops can repair those issues. So uh, the EPA can deny or revoke a company's certification if the manufacturer fails to comply with these emission standards. So Jan Deere may be used as an example for the rest of the industry when it comes to right to repair. But more John Deere in the news, it looks like John Deere is moving more of its manufacturing out of Iowa. Deere says over the next 18 months, it will shift its current production of its Atumwa facility to Monterey, Mexico, with the idea that they will revitalize this Atumwa location for future use. So not, not going to shut it down and close it, but employees will be impacted uh, as they announced earlier this year, the same thing happening with the Waterloo, Iowa plant. So some modernization coming our way, Delaney. But for me, that's the last piece that I had on this Friday edition. I lied. I have one more piece of news, just a quick headline here, but ADM and Farmers Business Network are officially in bed together, Tanner, as they've signed a deal to expand the availability of FBN's digital farm business management platform for growers in North America, uh, more than 55,000 growers in North America. That's a pretty large deal. Wow. I hadn't seen that. That, uh, yeah. that would be interesting to see what type of reception that gets. I, I would agree. I'm going to guess mixed feelings on that one. Yep, I agree. There are... There are certainly two different camps when it comes to fans of both of those organizations. Uh, So I I believe there will probably be some really big cheerleaders and others that are disappointed. Absolutely. I would agree with that as well, Tanner. But we're recording about midday here, so markets are not quite closed as of yet. But a pretty fair guess as to where we're going to end on the day. New crop corns trading about five cents lower at about 568. We're seeing new crop soybeans higher on the day at 14 and three quarter cents higher around 1316 and wheat significantly lower this morning or this afternoon at 41 cents lower trading around 764. Cattle across the board are higher in both live cattle and feeder cattle and lean hogs are also pushing higher as well here on this Friday afternoon, Tanner. Hey, there you go. That's a one way to finish up the week for livestock. So good to hear, but looking forward to our Friday conversation. I say we jump into that now. All right. Time for that conversation we just led into. We are pleased to have Ben Van Nostrand here. He is the Senior Director of Dial Ventures at Purdue University, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Welcome to Ag News Daily, Ben. Oh, good to be here, Tanner. Thanks for having me. So on this Friday, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what your tie to agriculture is and how you found yourself in your current role? Well, I grew up on a farm in Southeast Ohio. So by birth, I didn't quite have much choice but to be an ag. Um, I did, as I kind of became a young adult, I, I stepped away from the industry for a stretch, but found my way back to Ohio State University 
studied, uh, uh, got my MS in Ag Econ, and then after graduating, uh, jumped right back into the industry. So been involved uh, multiple levels. I started out of grad school in a consulting role, a niche shop that did a lot of consulting for uh, a lot of the major players in ag. From there, I went over to Dow Sciences and eventually Corteva, spent several years with that organization and sales marketing strategy type roles, both within the US and globally. And then the last few years, I've been involved in the ag tech startup scene. So both as a COO, as a early stage startup, and then more recently joining Dial Ventures here at Purdue University. For the listeners real quick, what does Dial stand for? That's a great question. It stands for the Digital Innovation and Agri-Food Systems Laboratory which of course is a mouthful. So uh, as universities tend to do, we turned it into an acronym and, and dial felt like a good representation of, you know, we're, we're turning that dial, right? We're, we're a source of change for this industry. So uh, Dial Ventures is all about digitizing the ag food system. And Tanner and I are no stranger to the startup culture, both being somewhat entrepreneurial ourselves, but I'm I'm curious to learn more about the food system in particular, because that can mean and uh, encompass a lot of different areas. So what types of companies and startups are you guys working with specifically within the ag system space? Yeah, so we actually um, run a venture studio, which for those that aren't familiar, a studio basically incorporates aspects of acceleration, you know, incubation, access to capital. So kind of the disparate parts of that venture community, we bring it together in a studio model. Um, And we create companies through this studio. So the approach we take is really, uh, we start with a blank piece of paper. Um, We talk to industry folks, our partners, our networks, try to tease out from them where they have problems they can't solve today. And they can't solve them because there's not a solution or the solution that's available isn't the right solution. So if it's something that can be digitized, you know, a new, new product, new process, new platform that either creates a better outcome or a more efficient outcome, then we explore that. And we have very intentional process with stage gates that ensure that as we move ideas forward, uh, we stay committed to the problem we're trying to solve, fall in love with the problem, not with the solution that we're trying to create. And through that process, if we make the right connections, the right alignment to problem and solution, then uh, we have a stage gate where we decide whether or not we want to turn our idea into a new co. Um, if we turn it into a new co, it's launched out of our studio. We provide pre-seed equity into that company to give it its uh, runway to seed. And then we continue to support that new co through traction, you know, ramp up, scalability, until ultimately an exit five to seven years down the road. So when you guys are identifying partners and projects to work on, how does that process go? Is it just for Purdue University grads or how do you get to that decision? Great question. It is not just for Purdue University grads or the Purdue ecosystem. We definitely leverage what is unique about Purdue, leading ag college, leading engineering college, phenomenal resources and facilities. So we take advantage of those capabilities, but really, because we're trying to solve the problems that the industry needs, um, we don't start by looking, you know, just at what we can do within Purdue or just at the resources we have at Purdue. So we actually have a fellows program uh, that's part of our studio. We are 
every six months we recruit a, a group of fellows that come in they own our process they drive the different steps within the studio and then through the five or six month cycle of the studio where they're involved um, they have the potential to become founders in the companies we create on the, the back end where it makes sense uh, and we have the right talent profile from purdue we love to recruit and uh, we'll prioritize folks that are coming through Purdue, either the undergrad or grad school system. Uh, but we prioritize the profile um, more so than, you know, where they came from. And what I mean by that, we're looking for people that can become CEOs, CTOs, you know, chief sales officers. So these folks typically have been involved in the startup world before. Uh, they have experiences running companies, um, creating kind of new business models executing in a you know, resource constrained or lack of process environment. So those folks can come from anywhere. In fact, our current batch of fellows uh, come from all over the US. We've got folks from Texas, North Carolina, the Midwest, uh, the West Coast. So we're agnostic around where they come from. We primarily care what are they capable of doing once they get here. I'm sure you've heard a lot of or have a lot of good stories of success, both of individuals and companies that you've seen go through your programming. But are there any that have stood out to you of, yep, these guys are going to change something within the food and fiber system? Well, it's interesting. We're actually new. So we we ran our first cohort through the studio um, starting this past January. Uh, through that process, we pitched two company ideas, decided to invest and launch one of those. And we're in the process of setting that company up now. So without disclosing too many details, it's a very intriguing and interesting uh, platform solution to the labor problem in the industry. So that'll be the first company that we start out of Dial Ventures. I mentioned that we have a, a new batch of fellows that just started here in July with the goal of pitching three more ideas and launching one to two new companies before the end of the year. So every year we're going to do this six month cadence where we want to bring in new fellows, um, you know, identify new problems and then pitch at least three new company ideas with the goal of starting one to two new companies every six months. That's great. And the intriguing part as I look through your website is just, how futuristic and how forward thinking your fellows have to be with their ideas and their, their programs to be able to affect agriculture as it is. So what, what types of tools are available if somebody's interested in potentially looking at your program to help guide them through the process? Yeah, if they'd like to, particularly if they want to be a fellow, I encourage them to go to our website, dialventures.com. There's information there on how to reach out to us and connect with us. My counterpart, Tim Dixon, leads our fellow recruitment efforts, and we can walk you through what is the studio, how does it work, what are the skills and the profiles that we're trying to attract into that fellows program. On the industry partnership side, um, we, we really have a couple different ways. The studio is supported by a venture studio fund, so we're actively raising funds to support the operations of the studio and to make those initial investments into the pre-seed companies. Uh, so that's a very formal, um, structured way to partner with us. But informally, we're constantly looking for new ideas, new perspectives on the industry. So bringing subject matter expertise to our process, you know, as we dig into some of the themes that are on our radar, um, again, we're not trying to come up with the ideas ourselves. 
We're trying to understand the problems from those that are in the industry dealing with those problems day in and day out. So whether that's a grower, whether that's somebody in ag retail, whether that's somebody in food processing, whether that's somebody in food retail, they all have unique perspectives on, on what we need to solve. What are the problems that we need to address if we're truly gonna move this ag food system forward? So there, there's pathways to participate in that way as well. Ben, <laughs> appreciate yeah. you joining us today and certainly been interesting to learn more about the DIAL program. One more time, if listeners have questions or have an idea that they want to bring to the forefront, where can they go to find out more information? Yeah, the best way to engage with us would just be to go to dialventures.com. So D-I-A-L-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S.com. Um, there's information about what we do on the website, and uh, you'll find a button and several other places on the site where you can hit the contact us button and uh, somebody from the team will follow up with you for sure. Fantastic. Well, Ben, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, uh, Tanner and Delaney. I appreciate your time. Well, again, a big thank you there to Ben. Interesting conversation to kick us over into the weekend, Tanner. Absolutely. And hopefully you get some time to wrap up some last minute wedding things and get excited for celebrating the week ahead. Absolutely, Tanner. I'm certainly excited. Going to miss everyone next week, but I know you and Cassidy will have things taken care of. Absolutely. But for today and for the week, what do you say? Should we let listeners go? Let's let him go. Let's let him go.